0: Welcome to HBTV. I'm Harry Binswanger, the HB in HBTV, and uh, before we begin today's session, I need to announce that during September, there will be a hiatus while we regroup, so um, there will be no HBTV during the month of September. My guest today in continuation with the broadcast of two weeks ago is Jean Maroney Benzwanger. And just to remind you, if in case we didn't make it clear last time or you weren't here, uh, who Jean is. Jean uh, pursued a path of going into electrical engineering. She went to MIT and got a, both an undergraduate and a master's in electrical engineering, but after a few years in that field, she decided she wanted to go into psychology. So she went to Carnegie Mellon, got a master's in psychology, stopped there to go to the objectivist graduate center, the forerunner or one of the early forerunners of the Ayn Rand University of the Ayn Rand Institute and she has been a coach and a, um, I, I suppose, woman. Covers, what? Business woman. Businesswoman. Businesswoman uh, running her own business and website on, in psychology, um, focusing on how to help productive, ambitious individuals get things done and achieve their goals. So last time, two weeks ago, we talked about what defensiveness is, and this time we're going to talk about how to deal with it in yourself if you have defensive motivation. Perhaps you can begin by reminding us what defensiveness is.
1: Sure. Thanks for having me back on, Harry. So uh, a defensive reaction is an emotional response that has been intensified by some unrelated Threat-oriented emotional reaction, meaning normally when you have an emotion, emotion actually calls your attention to the object of an emo- of the emotion. It's either mm-hmm. a threat that you got to get away from, or a value that you should go after. And when it's and that's always true, every emotion you have draws your attention to either a threat or a value. If it's a defensive reaction, part of the emotional intensity is not about that object; it's about something else some threat that is not the threat you're looking at or not the value you're looking at. And that's the whole problem with defensive reactions is they're not really about what they purport to be about.
0: Would you agree that they are uh, attempts to protect yourself from some negative or painful or frightening, otherwise negative emotion?
1: I think that's a mistake. I think that's a misconceptualization. That's, uh That's giving intention to the emotional reaction. I think this is completely explained by the structure of the value hierarchy and that it can, it's an entirely a, the value hierarchy has been set up with certain values. And then uh, there can also be what I think of as big holes in your value hierarchy, areas where it, it's, uh, let me say that again. Your value hierarchy is another layer of connections on your knowledge hierarchy. So there are things you know about, and then there are things you care about. And the things you care about, you actually develop a lot of knowledge about. You also develop a lot of skills related to them. You develop skills for how to gain those values. And so uh, when you think of your value hierarchy, your biggest values also have a rich node of information associated with them. and. It's the entire structure of the subconscious that gives rise to the particular emotional reaction. Now, normally, again, it's about the value or the threat and the threat is always in relation to some value. But in the case of a defensive reaction, it's what I call an anti-value that is also contributing here. And that too, I think is best understood as just a structure of the way the stored information is if if you have something that's an anti-value, it's something that you have avoided in the past. maybe it was to avoid something you know maybe it was for the reason you said but right now all that matters is in the past you avoided it and so you don't have knowledge in that area you don't have skills in that area. there is a big kind of gap in that area so that you um, are that the, Kinds of feelings that you would have with respect to that would be aversion type feelings because you you know it's the threat of the unknown type thing, and that would all be generated automatically.
0: Yeah, I mean, all aren't all emotions generated automatically,
1: right? But can you repeat the way that you worded the question? Because I think the word the question
0: and what the reason why the word defensive is used is the idea whether true or false, is that you are protecting yourself against a kind of negative uh, experience that you regard as uh, unbearable.
1: So I object to that wording of it, right? So when you say you are protecting yourself, who is protecting himself in the emotional reaction. The emotional reaction, there's no humunculus. This is oh, we better protect you about from that reaction. We better set up this emotion here to protect you from that emotion, from that terrible feeling. It's not like there is an any kind of intention to protect. Now, I do think that when you sit back and look at it and you realize, oh, this has been intensified. I think the way to think about it is like when there's um There is aversion-type motivation associated with these black holes I call anti-values. And there is, uh, you know, desire-type motivation toward values. And then there's aversion-type towards, you know, threats to values. So the total emotional reaction you get is actually a sum of a bunch of emotional reactions. And typically, the emotion that you identify it as is the one that is clearest, the most the greatest example of this is when you are feeling guilty and you you actually experience it as anger at someone else or you're feeling frustration and you experience it as angry, anger at someone else. Like particularly if the frustration you're you just you don't really know what's going on. You're confused, whatever. The thing that can be clear is that someone interrupted you. And so the it's partly because of the clarity that you identify that emotional total as anger. Whereas in fact, there's a big part of frustration in there. And you actually need to pause and look, what are all the things I'm feeling to be able to name that um, frustration? So I think that this is an example of where, you know, there's a superposition of emotional intensity. And if there is one of these anti-values that is triggered in the situation, that is going to be one layer of the emotional intensity. And other people are going to be able to sense that and it's going to influence um, because it is a, a superposition, is actually something I learned in electrical engineering. But because it's kind of additive, that is going to influence what seems to be the best thing to do. And of course, if there's a big aversion reaction to one thing and a big positive reaction to something else, and they both point in the same direction, that is going to intensify. The drive, say, to go in that direction because it's both away from where you're getting this aversion and toward where you're getting this desire. Okay. But it's going to uh-huh. be not a normal desire. It's going to be like a turbocharged desire because of this aversion at the back, which is, you know, I mean, it makes sense that people, when they first name these things and describe these phenomena, that they describe them with um, anthropomorphism, basically. But I don't think that's the right way to actually think about them.
0: Well, I'm thinking about that. Uh, but Good. but what we wanted to accomplish was to tell people how to deal with defensiveness in themselves. and um, But to get into that, you have a statement about the real problem is not, if I can quote you, the problem is not that a legitimate value has been strengthened too much. That's not what a defense value is. It's not an excess of a, of a value. It is that other legitimate values have been ignored, necessary skills have not been developed, and knowledge needed for dealing with life has never been acquired. Uh, I follow that, except I'd like you to explain the ignoring of other values that that you lead off with. What do you have in mind for that?
1: Well, like suppose, so this is uh, a particular kind of defensiveness, which involves a defense value. So there, suppose that uh, the thing you're really afraid of is, say, interpersonal conflict. Mm -hmm. And so you've avoided that, and you avoid it, and you avoid it. Well, you never actually learn how to say no to people. And you never actually and so you never learn how to stick up for yourself or you never learn how to be polite and say no. You only know how to say no by being mean and angry. You know, you know, so there are a whole bunch of so there are social values in being able to have an open conversation when you're in disagreement with someone to try to understand their point of view, which you never actually learn because you keep avoiding interpersonal conflict. It takes practice. It takes experience to do that. So that's a great example of something that is a legitimate value that you never develop.
0: So it sounds to me like a skill more than a value. I thought you meant uh, what you refer to elsewhere in there that you neglect things, unrelated things like your health and so forth. Because you're in the grip of a defensive uh, maneuver. Well, that can happen that-
1: too. That can happen uh-huh. too, right. So a defense value is a particular kind. So like it's the, the case where I gave where you feel an aversion to one thing and a desire for another. Mm-hmm. If every time that you're avoiding that terrible thing, say interpersonal conflict, you go do the same thing, that value does get disproportionately strong and you feel driven to go after that and it seems to be more important than anything else and this is why people sometimes do like you know um they do seem to be driven to do things that are like destroy their health and mm-hmm. and that is um uh Again, because of, because of a, of a s- s- systematic distortion in the value hierarchy, when they ask themselves, which is more important, say, being productive or taking care of my health is, oh, I gotta be productive. Why? Because they've got this turbocharged uh, intensity about productiveness that is part genuine desire and part caused by this, some anti-value of something that they're running away from by doing that. So yes, right, it distorts, so what, it distorts your priorities.
0: That points us to how to deal with it, right? You want to now turn to that?
1: Right. So one of the reasons I think this analysis is, or this model, it's really a model is the way I would say it. It's not a theory. It's a model of how the subconscious is organized and Mm -hmm. how that explains these very familiar psychological responses that we have. And I think one of the real benefits of this model is it makes it really clear where you need to... Uh, turn your attention if you're having this problem because it, it doesn't work to say, oh, I shouldn't be productive. I need to focus more on health. That just mm-hmm. actually puts you into a lot of conflict and a lot of confusion. But if instead you say, okay, so what am I running away from? And you, you actually diffuse this anti-value by figuring out, like say it's an interpersonal conflict. I don't know that this example isn't has a lot of integrity to it, but that's a very common thing people are afraid of. If you say, God, you know, that's, if you, if you can recognize, gee, that is messing with all of my priorities, that then becomes the priority to get at least some skill and some knowledge and stop treating that like, oh my God, I mean, in effect, as uh, something that needs to be avoided at all costs. And even by just looking at it and say, my God, I seem to be Avoiding interpersonal conflict at all costs, that doesn't make any sense, that's not logical. Even just identifying that takes mm-hmm. a lot of the power of the anti-value away. The anti-value gets its power by being this, um, by being uh, a big gap in your awareness. And because if, if even you can realize, gee, I seem to be doing this to avoid interpersonal conflict, the next time it happens, it will at least maybe cross your mind. Gee, am I doing this to avoid interpersonal conflict? And you at least have a shot at being able to do a more, uh, have, have a more reasonable yeah. response to what's going on.
0: The line um, which we've talked about, you and I, to be afraid to face an issue is to fear that the worst is true.
1: Yeah, that's a great iron ran line. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it probably isn't. The worst probably isn't. You know, the if you think about, well, what am I afraid of in interpersonal conflict? Your first emotional reaction is, like, oh, I'd be the terrible be, but then you would say stay with it, right? And right, let like, it the, the, to the, you. like they might
1: not like me or they might think I'm not, you know, not nice or something. It's like, is that really that bad? And Here's the real kicker, Harry. Suppose the worst is true. Mm -hmm. Suppose you're married to someone you're thinking, and you're thinking, I mean, not this, drop married because it doesn't make any sense. Suppose you're thinking maybe this person hates me and I can't think about that, right? Well, you know, there are people who are in relationships with people they shouldn't be in because the person really is uh, vicious. And, you know, you need to actually, if you need to find that out, if the worst is true, you really need to know the truth so that you can factor that in and really figure out what are you going to do with this bad situation? I mean, that's when people got all panicked about COVID. I didn't get panicked because I, you know, you know, there were riots and things and people were thinking, oh my God, or what's going to happen? And, Some people were really paralyzed by that. What I did is I sat down and thought about what is the worst that could happen. And I came up with you know, the country could devolve into anarchy, which would be really awful. Okay, well, what would I do if that happened? Well, I'd fight. Okay, I don't know quite what that looks like, but I'm determined. If that's what happens, that's what I'm going to do. And I stopped worrying about it. When you face the fear, you if even if it's out of your control. When you face it honestly and straight and say,
0: well, what am I going to do about that? You put yourself back in the driver's seat. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, But there's also, uh, you have a very practical orientation. I know that there are things to learn. It's like if you, you don't want to play tennis because you would uh, lose real bad and make a fool of yourself on the court and you'd be all spastic and so on, but you can learn tennis, right? And tennis is their uh, an analogy to whatever it is, like dealing with uh, interpersonal conflict. Yes. You, you would stress that you need to learn something here because as you put it, it's, it's a black whole of ignorance right. and, and non-skills. Right. Uh, you refer in your in your blog piece to introspection one-on-one, the empathy bath. What are those? Please talk about that.
1: Sure. So one of the things that I do in my, uh, my main program is called the Thinking Lab, which is a membership program. And I've developed a number of tactics for being able to deal with emotions, among other things. There are also productivity tactics and other things. The two big ones that I teach for dealing with emotions are called introspection 101 and empathy bath. Introspection 101 is particularly if you have never really learned how to introspect, it teaches you the words. It actually teaches you the basic uh, families of emotions. And then each family of emotion, like say anger, there can be really mild Mm -hmm. anger would be like irritation. And there could be really intense anger, could be rage there's a you know there's probably depending on the family there could be 5 10 15 other emotion words and so there's a structure where you go through and identify what do i feel and why do i feel it using multiple choice using a cheat sheet of words and then using another step where you figure out well what does it mean based on which family it's in and so it's a way to actually learn how to introspect and then empathy bath is a somewhat more advanced technique where if you're feeling a lot of different feelings, you know, a lot of people who teach, no, no, I I take that back. I have found that when you're very, um, when it's emotionally intense, it's helpful to really try to make sure you cover the waterfront about all of the emotions you're feeling, because it's so easy to just look at the top one or two that are most obvious. And so one of the things I have people do is actually go through all eight basic families of emotions, positive and negative. So this is 16 emotions. And for each one, think about why might I be feeling that right now? And, you know, occasionally you get some of them that I can't imagine why I'd be feeling that, but you'd be surprised. A lot of times you get 13, 14 of these. It be saying, well, I could be feeling that and I could be that and I could be feeling that. And those are all the pieces that are actually merging together in your total emotional reaction. And because these are the basic components of more complex emotions, you can really get the full picture about what your emotional reaction is. And it's much easier to pick up like a threat in the background that is not the most uh, salient thing.
0: So So these
1: are in the thinking lab and there's also a very inexpensive um, uh, booklet called the Thinker's Toolkit which you can get a hard copy in the US for 40 bucks or a uh, PDF for 20 bucks. Uh, I, uh, Harry, can you, we can't uh, hear you.
0: Well, Speak uh, again. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Uh, we have spotty uh, internet here in Florida because of thunderstorms which are going on now. Uh, I asked you one Question, where I suggested one area, and then I unintentionally threw you a curve to put you in a nut, slightly different area. So let me just straighten that out. Uh, the Thinker's Toolkit with these two things are techniques, skills of self-understanding. Yes, and I th- my example is well, you could learn tennis, which is a uh, content skill that you also refer to in your blog, uh, the um, r- Rationally Connected uh, conversations.
1: conversations. Yes, yeah.
0: right. Uh, you, that was specifically about the fear of interpersonal conflict. So right. there are two kinds of skills you need to develop. One is about the subject you're afraid of, how to actually deal with it. And the other is about yourself, how yes. to understand. Um right. Now I also have to jump in here because you played right into my hands. You said that you have these words for these emotions. And I just in my logic class uh, and in my epistemology class prior to that was talking about the importance of getting the right word. So on the surface, you would think of okay, so I now know I'm angry. So I was feeling it. Why does having the word for it help me? So would you explain that?
1: Well, you know, I took this to these fabulous uh, logic and ITOE classes from Dr. Harry Binswanger when I was at the Objectivist Graduate Center. So what you're teaching now, I had it close to 20 years ago and I took it very seriously. And I took 10 years to figure out what were the basic emotions uh, because and and to define them. So that now when you have this short list of the 16 basic emotions, eight positive, eight negative, and you have the one line meaning of it, you can immediately, that definition lets you see exactly what you need to look for. So like anger, anger is a response to believing that someone has harmed you. So, there needs to be a person. There needs to be another person. You say, So, who's the person and what harm did they do to me? So, this just knowing this is actually really helpful when you're having a defensive reaction because you realize, Oh, there's no person for me to be angry at. Hmm, I must be upset with myself. Or, Hmm, I'm angry at that person, but how did they harm me? They interrupted, but I don't think that really counts as a harm. Hmm, that seems a little bit odd. So, having the precise concept and a precise definition makes all the world difference in your being able to quickly organize and categorize and actually get to the essential of what's going on in that emotion. It's like a structure. It's like a scaffolding to get to,
0: why do you feel this?
1: Well, I ran through
0: the our file folders for a knowledge. Can you hear me all right? That I
1: think it's when you concept. sit back, it's a
0: problem. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Concepts are file folders uh, holding our knowledge of the things the concept stands for. And uh, what you're saying is you don't just label it, you bring with the label the, uh, a concept with has a lot of knowledge about what it means to be angry, what it comes from, what you can do about it. Um, so I'm really big on getting the right word to activate other knowledge yes. that you have and could bring to bear to the situation. Hear, hear. Uh, okay. Um, an- another thing I have marked that I think needs uh, discussion, you say that emotions are never the problem. It's good that you feel self-doubt. You go so far as it it indicates that some apparent threat needs your urgent attention. Now, it may be wrong, but that's what you think or have automatized as a conclusion. And you need to know that it's bad if the self-doubt is repressed. That cuts you off from important information. Could you concretize that, give an example of that? Yeah, sure. Let's see.
1: Um, well, let's take a defensive reaction of someone afraid of interpersonal conflict, but it's they're, they're like in the situation and can't get out of it. And so they're kind of suppressing the self-doubt, which is coming from all that. And they're feeling anger and that having, having had to Deal with this particular issue myself. I know the anger is like, why are you making me having to deal with this situation? But the anger can be very intense. And because they're repressing the self-doubt or suppressing, whichever the case is, they're not aware, you know, I don't know really how to deal with this situation. It's actually much healthier if you're feeling angry in that situation to also feel, and I don't know how to deal with this, because that might get you to walk away instead of bite the person's head off you actually need to be aware that, you know, you're a little out of control and stuff here. Because otherwise you, um, you know, you're you're not, well, I mean, there, there are multiple issues here because obviously if you're angry, you should try to calm down. If you're in any emotion, you should try to calm down before you act. But uh, the problem with an emotion that, where you're not getting the complexity, it can seem completely obvious that the emotion is right. I mean, that's the way people experience it. They experience the emotion as well. Of course, this is what's going on because they don't have any of that complex and uncomfortable other feelings activated. It's much better to be damn uncomfortable in that situation and realize "I, I, I, I need to think about this. Yeah. Have that be painfully um, obvious. It's much better for that to be painfully obvious.
0: Yeah, I I, I know what you mean. You have another terrific point of general point that I want to read. After explaining that evasion can lead to the creation of an anti-value you say, but the existence of a defense value or an anti-value is not evidence per se of past evasion. And I know this is a mistake I made in thinking about my psychology way back when and going to an objectivist psychotherapist when he was such. Um, You think that, well, since this bad, immoral thing can lead to this state if I have the state, it must have come from that bad thing. But there are other, that's affirming the consequence.
1: I was about to say, that's another thing I learned from Harry Binswanger. Affirming yeah. the consequent, affirming the consequence.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or also known as undistributed middle among yes, certain is. films. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, and it works in reverse. If you get a compliment, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, soul is good because or even the person thinks your soul is good because you, you were complimented or you do something that inspired pleasure in another person. So I think that's a great point. And there's a real tendency on the part of conscientious people to judge themselves on the basis of their emotions and their reactions when there are many different causes for emotions yeah. and reaction, you have to judge yourself about what you need to be judged for: your rationality or irrationality.
1: Right. And this is well, another thing that I can yeah. say.
0: I, I realize we're out of time, but
1: yeah, this is why Go I ahead. think the right way to think about emotions is that they are alerts to your values at stake. They aren't. They aren't about how good you are, or the past, no. or what you should do. They're about some value of yours. Some value of yours is at the root, the cause of your feeling this feeling. And you really need to know your values. So yeah. that's why you need to introspect them.
0: Right. Okay. Well, we do have to stop here. So let me thank you for. You have one more point that before well, I thank
1: there's you? There's one question that was uh, put in the chat, which I think could be answered oh, very quickly.
0: I didn't look at the chat. Go ahead.
1: So it's how does experimental psychology relate to clinical psychology? And so so my degree is in experimental psychology, not in clinical. And I haven't ever taken any classes in uh, clinical psychology, but I've read books by clinical psychologists. So basically, experimental psychologists think that they're just studying how the mind works. And they are very affected by... Wrong views of philosophy. They're basically it's where people who want to do philosophy during the period where it wasn't being done in the philosophy departments went to psychology departments and did like cognitive psychology there. So it's um a lot of a lot of mistaken theories, I would say. Clinical psychologists are trying to help people with problems. And and there are, you know, there's some good things that have come out of experimental, the things that come out of clinical, there are some things that come out that help people, but they don't have a conceptualization for it. like the DSM is just keeps expanding. they keep just
0: That's the,
1: they don't have principles for figuring out what's going DSM, on with
0: people. The DSM is the diagnostic something manual, Symptomatic manual which lists yeah. all the recognized yeah. disorders, I guess you would call yeah. it. And, and it just it,
1: keeps growing you know I
0: mean it's it's huge. There are hundreds of them. It's it's an
1: empiricist problem there.
0: Empiricist problem. Um, We have one more. Bonnie Bertrand asks, is Gene writing a book? Gene is continuously writing a book.
1: When will Gene's book be published? We will see.
0: I'll be there. Yes, you will. Thank you for uh, coming and thank you guys out there for listening to HBTV. And I will see you next week. Goodbye.